Hello, listeners. This is Dave Douglas with the Greenleaf Music Podcast, A Noise from the Deep. That's pianist Corey Smythe playing with saxophonist Steve Lehman. I'll be talking with Corey about his music and his new album on Pyroclastic. It's called Accelerate Every Voice. Amazing stuff. But first, a message about this podcast. Listeners should know that we're not producing these interviews in a vacuum. We're aware of what's going on out there, and we feel that it's more important than ever to talk to these artists about their music. Music, culture, and the humanities are so essential for a functioning society. So even though events are moving fast, before every interview, we talk about the global pandemic. We talk about the long history of police violence against Black and Latinx Americans and the uprising against it. We talk about the future of the performing arts, the environment. We talk about voting rights, the unjust economy, gender equality. We talk about November 3rd, 2020. So there are a lot of smart people talking about these issues, mostly better than I could. So please listen to them. These interviews on music are pre-taped. We're not reacting in real time to events, and it's our choice to stick mostly to the music. This is a conversation about the music we love, had with love. We choose to create a space for our music and culture, knowing that there are many important and essential other spaces to talk about all that is going on. So while we only tangentially talk about the volcanic events rocking the world, we are acutely aware and sensitive to them. And by we, I mean me and the musician guests and also everyone working at Greenleaf Music. We appreciate your support. We continue our work in a spirit of solidarity and of working every day to make the world less racist, more just, and more equitable for our society. In that spirit, we move forward. Check out Corey Smythe and visit greenleafmusic.com for more info. Thank you and stay safe and healthy. Corey Smythe, thank you so much for joining me. It's a privilege to uh, get to talk to you, Dave. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's amazing music. Um, I'm going to dive right in and ask you about the intonation in that piece, Lucy A. What is going on? I've seen the scores and there's X's. Yeah, those those X's, uh, I think those are actually just a, uh, 
like a finale error. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking back at that when I sent it to you, and I was just like, what? what? what and I, I was thinking, oh, this is a helpful guide to how intonation is working in yeah. the book of Corey Smythe. Right. Now, you can see uh, there are quarter tones that mm -hmm. happen uh, in that piece. That was kind of, I think, an early effort on my part to try to find a way into thinking about music that uh, had this kind of 24 equal note division of the octave. Um, partly because I really wanted to play with Steve Lehman, who, as you know, is, has uh, mastered a language written and improvised, dealing with that uh, kind of uh, microtonal division of the octave. Um, and so I was looking for things that I might know from other music that I've been involved with that could kind of give me a, a way in. And uh, one of those things was the music of Elvin Lucier, which I got somewhat familiar with as uh, on, on projects with ICE, International Contemporary Ensembles, new music group that I'm a part of. Um, yeah, so uh, one of the things that intrigued me about Lucier's music, you can hear kind of elsewhere on that, that record, Autotrophs, is this music that he's done with uh, sine waves. And there are some pieces for piano and sine waves where um, the, there's a kind of slow sweep of microtonal sine wave that's intersecting with these notes on the piano. And it's, it's sort of exploring what happens next, the beating that, that arises. And uh, so that, that was one thing that I was kind of curious about. And another thing in Elvin Lucier's, uh, one, one of his most famous pieces is this piece, I'm Sitting in a Room, where uh, uh, you probably already know that piece and a lot of people already know that piece. I can try to briefly describe it. Um, We'll, we'll slip in a little tiny excerpt of that here, but yeah, a, a, a wonderful and well-known piece. I am sitting in a room different from the one you are in now. I am recording the sound of my speaking voice and I am going to play it back into the room again and again until the resonant frequencies of the room reinforce themselves so that any semblance of my speech with perhaps the exception of rhythm is destroyed. Yeah. Important piece. 
an important piece uh, where by recording himself speaking in, in a room and then playing back that audio, recording it again. And over the course of uh, many iterations like that, it's, it slowly reveals these sort of resonant frequencies in the room. They take over and by the end of it, you just hear this bloom of what turns out to be a kind of microtonal sonority. Uh, so there are a couple of recordings of that, maybe more. I, I knew of two of them and they were recorded in different rooms uh, resulting in, in a different bloom of sonorities in each of those rooms. And I tried to transcribe those harmonies uh, and then set up this kind of process of, of delays where my hope was I could kind of condense the, uh, you know, I'm sitting in a room, takes about an hour to unfold. I was like, I wonder if I can condense that into these just little uh, measures of, of process that could have a kind of rhythmic character and a harmonic character. And that could become a sort of environment in which we improvise and an environment on, on top of which I overlay some, some other written material. And when you say bloom of sonorities, does that refer to the harmonic series that, that they're growing out of fundamental frequencies that are found in the reflections of the room? Yeah, something like that. I think uh, I will reveal my my lack of expertise in acoustics <laughs> here. <laughs> I I think that the resonant properties of the of a room that are getting re revealed there might not belong to a, a harmonic series in the way that we normally think about it. If mm -hmm. they do, at least they they are highlighting um, partials that are uh, fragmentary, and so you're you're not sort of getting the, the sort of uh, overtone series the way that you would if you are looking at an analysis for string vibrating. Right. Gotcha. And also, uh, in this case, in the case of that piece, all of these sonorities are in the electronics part. The piano itself is tuned, is a well-tempered clavier. Right. So in these delays, and in this uh, emulation of Lucier's blooming of sonorities, you created a, a are you using Ableton or, but you, yeah. you, so you created an environment in which that would evolve in a much quicker way. That was, that was my intent. Yeah. 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 Well, it's really interesting. Um, it makes me want to ask about the form also of that piece uh, because it's so uh, to me it, it was like sort of hearing it unfold it was hard to imagine how it was unfolding like in what way were, were these things developing that's interesting uh, that's actually in a way reassuring because I think the form is uh there's kind of like nothing to write home about. It's uh, there's a kind of intro that we're improvising together. There's a head, there's a sort of blowing section, and then there's a kind of outro. Um, so it's like a jazz standard, basically. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I mean that that uh, <laughs> yeah uh, that that's sort of the model that I was trying to hmm. tap into. Um. No kidding aside, 
I guess then the answer is that the form was developed intuitively that you, you, you went with what you felt as you were writing and going along and knowing that you were going to develop it with Steve and knowing that you were using these kinds of sounds in it. The rhythm is also really intricate, but in terms of the form, fairly intuitive, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think I can't, uh, at least looking back at it now, I, and I don't remember there being any particularly uh, uh, sophisticated thoughts that I was trying to express formally. <laughs> uh, I, had a, I had a hard enough time just kind of thinking about what to do around these sort of microtonal harmonies and how to generate some rhythmic properties that I hoped uh, Steve might find sufficiently interesting that, that he wouldn't uh, regret having agreed to play on it well yeah that part that clearly worked um but i thinking as a performer myself i would imagine like part of the challenge is how do you play a perfectly tuned piano and yet get yourself into that world yeah um and that i guess as we go along here um i we we talk about whether or not i've come up with an adequate (laughs) <laughs> solution to that problem. I think here uh also oh boy. You know the 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 harmonies that kind of uh the the spectrum of frequencies that you get when you're looking at these these Lucier rooms, the room tones include uh, you know I'm basically rounding everything to the nearest quarter tone. I guess that's kind of a thing that happens uh in some areas of spectral music. Um, and there are a lot of frequencies in there that round to frequencies that I have access to on the piano. So I think in the written material, I'm just kind of trying to, to stick with those for the most part. And then there was probably a fair amount of me adding some pitches that, that intuitively felt like they kind of fit with, with these sound worlds and uh, uh, sort of just trying to use my ears and, and suss it out. Right. And I think that really gets at something really that that's very interesting about your music is that it's really this collision between um, purely notated and, and, and rigorously developed written language with purely improvised. And um, I hate to words, I hate to use the word intuitive again, but, you know, purely moment to moment decision-making that happens in improvisation. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, if that's true, I think I'm, I'm just kind of uh, trying to work in some terrain that has been more thoroughly uh, dealt with by others, yourself included. So, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying my best. <laughs> Well, you have this collaborative group with uh, Ingrid Lobrock and Stefan Crump. And yes. I have this piece, it's called Tones for Climbing Plants. And I believe it's completely improvised? Correct. Correct. Let's just hear a little bit of that.
climbing plants from 2017. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, the improvising language is so rich. Uh, and obviously because of the instrumentation, it sounds more like jazz, but it's also, um, I would imagine there was no talking about what was going to happen. There was no pre-ordained idea. That's my recollection. We, we might have uh, said something to each other about the general length of pieces that we were going for. Um, but other than that, yeah. So um, you've had a really successful career in so-called classic, <laughs> I know people say that to me and I shrug, but it's actually true of you. But, oh, uh, <laughs> so, but I, I, I um, <laughs> it's not important. Okay. Um, uh, you know, playing with Hilary Hahn and playing serious classical repertoire, and then also being a quote unquote, for lack of a better word, jazz player, or let's say improviser. Um, it's, uh, I'd imagine it's, there's challenges to moving back and forth between those two things. Yeah. Um, I don't know. On the one hand, you know, I'm, I'm 43. I feel like I'm maybe just arriving at some semblance of what I'm doing hmm. <laughs> as a musician. And, uh, some of that I'm sure is just attributable to uh, uh, some kind of uh, dearth of, of <laughs> speed or something in my own uh, mental makeup. But uh, yeah, I, I wonder if uh, it's been difficult for me to kind of bounce around and maybe make much headway i'm not sure I, I i don't know about that i do feel make, like uh make make much headway in terms of what exactly well uh i certainly put off a lot of creative endeavors until pretty recently uh and at least there's one kind of story i can tell myself about how that happened which has to do with just like how hard it i have found it to function as a classical pianist, how much work that's taken, how many uh, hours a day that has taken and how sort of spent I am at the end of those days when I might have imagined like, okay, you know, later today I'm gonna get to writing X, Y, and Z, but you know, later, later that day doesn't actually end up happening that way. Uh, there are plenty of people who've managed to negotiate that far better than I have, but, um, I, yeah, it's possible that the uh, the attempt to to be somewhat competent and uh, across a few sorts of practices and, and disciplines has uh, has taken its toll. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, like you're describing the challenge of doing it, but it sounds like what you're saying is actually playing the purely notated music is more of a challenge than playing improvised music. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that that was that kind of through some, you know, 
contingent set of steps became the thing that I was getting employed to do and that I was kind of focused on doing mm. uh, at the expense of, of doing other things. And uh, it was, it has been, it sort of remains sufficiently taxing that it, it makes it hard for me to, I uh, think, devote the kind of time that those other things also require. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, you're, you're from the Chicago area originally. And one of the things you said that I thought was interesting was that you started inventing pop songs as a, as a kid. Like when you first started playing, that's where your ear led you. Yeah. Is that, is that apocryphal or is that a true story? I think that's true. I certainly, uh, my earliest memories at the piano are, are consistent with that. It's me being a little kid and trying to either play uh, sort of rock songs by ear that I knew from the radio or MTV or whatever, and uh, and kind of riffing on those songs and uh, kind of coming up with my own derivative sort of versions of them. And, uh, eventually I think my, to the extent that I had a kind of creative practice as a, as a kid and as an adolescent, it sort of grew out of that. Hmm. And so with this new release, um, the recording, uh, accelerate every voice, um, you talked about, um, what you call optimistic songcraft. <laughs> and that makes me think of Charles Ives, but I think that you're what you where you're going with that is is quite different. And I, I wanted to play something from this group with Dan Lapel and Sophia Yern. Is it Jernberg or Yernberg? Yernberg. Um, what's what was the name of the band or the project? Uh, it the record was called Circulate Susanna. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, so this, this, uh, boy, I could get lost in the weeds trying to describe the. Okay, well, uh, let's just hear it then. Okay, all right, all right, great. No weeds. <laughs>
weave the ring and circulate Susanna with uh, Dan LaPelle and Sophia Yurnberg. And it's pretty much all notated, right? Yeah, we get to a kind of uh, a sort of vamp that we blow over mm -hmm. uh, in the course of things there. Um, I think my my intent for that sort of form, I, I, th I think actually going back to the earlier question, I had a more ambitious uh, <laughs> uh, hope for the, the sort of form here, which was uh, uh, more like a kind of a wave of harmonic rhythms that would kind of coalesce into this this little bit that we'd improvise over and then widen out again at the end. Hmm. Um, and this is another piece that takes advantage of, uh, you know, trying to think about a 24 note division of the octave. So the throughout that record, uh, Dan, Dan's guitar is tuned to quarter tone sharp to the piano and we are, um, kind of trying to function as one sort of meta instrument, not quite guitar, not quite piano, some sort of hybrid uh, in a conversation with uh, Sophia's vocals. And she's got this uh, extraordinary range of vocalizations um, that I think are unique, things that she's figured out how to do. and. Um, She's an extraordinary reader and able to kind of just, you know, uh, deploy yeah. these techniques. Uh, I was going to say the performers that you find to play this music are extraordinary, just amazing. Yeah, they really are. I, uh, I have, I'm in awe of what uh, both Dan and Sophia did on this project. I'm really grateful. It was hard work. Um, yeah, so I, I tried to, in thinking about the vocal writing for this, music, uh, spent a lot of time with Sophia's uh, solo improvisations and kind of hmm. developed my own uh, attempt to make a kind of lexicon of the sounds that she makes and find ways to notate those and then show her what I'd done and get her feedback and uh, ultimately arrive at a, at a thing that she could sing. That's a long process, but really fruitful one. Yeah, that, I mean, that kind of thing has happened a lot. Uh, I've been on the, the sort of performer side of that kind of thing mm. a lot. Mm. Uh, in ICE mostly and some other groups as well. Where we, words, the composer comes in and listens to you improvising your own, using your own sonic vocabulary and then extrapolates from that to things they would write using your language as a performer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and probably not so much me because the, the piano ultimately is a pretty boring instrument. I, and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't <laughs> Can really I quote come you up on with, that. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I've, you know, I've seen it happen a lot with other uh, instrumentalists. You know, there's some kind of weird beating multiphonic that a clarinetist colleague has figured out. And, uh, and I'm watching this sort of composer transcribe what that is, figure out the, the fingerings, how to notate it, what to tell the performer, and how to construct music around it. Um, 
And I haven't, you know, since my, maybe a semester in my undergrad, I, I've not taken kind of formal composition lessons, but I've been around this sort of work that's being done. And uh, it's, it's something I've tried to learn from and tried to employ uh, in my own limited ways. But you're always, it sounds like you're, you're always working with deep sources and uh, taking your cues from existing music to turn it into something um, that's been um, greatly transformed using all of this language. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at the, at a sort of specific level, Circulate Susanna, uh, I, you know, this, this might've been a total failure, but I was trying to, uh, think about the history of this song, Oh Susanna, uh, and the, uh, you know, it's, it, it stems from this, uh, it's an ex extremely racist document in its original form, right? It comes from the minstrel show. It has this uh, second verse that- uh, Horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. You've probably never heard it, uh, which is a good thing, but also uh, it's suggestive. It's got this, it's, it's freighted with this, this history and it comes down to at least, you know, I know it from my childhood. Yeah, I wrote this kind of fictional note for the record, but it is true that I, I grew up with that song. I feel like it was a part of uh, uh, classroom sing-alongs and summer camp and stuff. And the way that it's kind of concealing this, it, it, in this kind of, you know, it seems totally innocent, you know? It, uh, and it's well, hiding Stephen this Foster, this. Stephen Foster, also the product of a oof, yeah, terrible system, right? Uh, and so I thought, well, maybe there's a way to uh, invoke this document. Think about what these sort of erasures that are lurking within it might kind of fancifully still sound like. That's a question, like maybe Circulate Susanna is an attempt to sort of answer it over the course of numerous tracks. And, um, and maybe there's a way there to kind of engage with uh, whiteness, the problem of whiteness, the way that whiteness is, this, uh, is sustained by these kinds of erasures, erasures of violence. That's true, you know, for my, for my whiteness, it's a way of kind of wrestling with myself on this record. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if any of that is, is, is worthwhile, but I, maybe more generally I can say then that um, I'm interested in trying to be as creative as I can possibly be about the, uh, the sort of phrases that I'm trying to coax into existence, whether that's on, on the page or, or through improvisation. I want those to be abnormal. <laughs> I want them to be strange. And, um, and one problem with that, I think, is that you're, uh, you're sort of trying to lean away from 
established rhetoric that means something. Um, so there's this kind of problem of like, what is this music about? It just sounds strange. And maybe it can become about something by sort of tapping into this sort of inter intertextual way of, of uh, putting music together, which is also maybe, you know, a part of this, some part of the tradition I'm trying to work in here, right? It's like, uh, I don't know, I've heard George Lewis talk about uh, Charlie Parker's music as a, as a, there's something going on there when, when he's uh, writing these sort of contrafact on top of Broadway tunes, on top of this sort of like, uh, these texts from the dominant culture and exhibiting this virtuosity and freedom on top of those texts, it means something. Mm. Uh, it means something that addresses itself to uh, racism in America. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, yeah, I, don't, I take that seriously and it feels like, um, I don't know that I'm doing it well, but maybe there's a responsibility to try to to create meaning in something like that same way if I'm gonna work in, in with something like the materials that are handed down from Charlie Parker and others. Yeah, and you, you referred to it as music about other music. Um, and that same concept brings us to this latest record that's just coming out um, in June, 2020, Accelerate Every Voice. Um, it's an incredible creation. Why don't I just play a little bit of uh, Northern City's vowel shift, uh, and then we'll we'll talk about it. Congratulations! This is amazing work. That's kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> Do the other 
that is just amazing. Can you tell me who the performers are? What is, there's four vocalists, five? Five vocalists. That's uh, Kyoko Kitamura uh, and Michael Mayo. They're uh, the ones that you mostly hear improvising on that record. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raquel Acevedo-Klein, Stephen Reiselak, and uh, Carrie Francis is the vocal percussionist. It's an incredible um, feat of pulling disparate elements and different levels and layers of rhythm uh, and harmony together. Was it performed live all synchronously? No, no, you got me. Uh, Nothing wrong with a little overdubbing here and there. Yeah, I mean, this, this was, there's a lot of overdubbing. Whatever here it takes. Yeah. I got interested in uh, this sort of sound world of uh, contemporary acapella records. Um, Mostly that stuff is kind of uh, ends up being arrangements of these kind of top 40 hits, Hmm. Uh, but they're done super well. And the, um, and so, I mean, I was interested in, in uh, at the level of like what people are actually singing, how they're making their voices make these sounds, and can I tap into that? But I, I was also interested in the production strategy, which um, uh, a lot of those recordings, I think, are the product of uh, a lot of overdubs, mm-hmm. at least. So I came to uh, find out through working with uh, Carrie, who was kind of our resident expert on... on uh, all things acapella. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, maybe it's not cheating to construct a record this way. Maybe that's that's just how you get this sound. Yeah, it's certainly not cheating. But also I wonder for the vocalists, it probably um, made it a lot more possible for them to get the accuracy and really nail everything and get everything so rhythmically hooked up. Yes. I mean, they did an extraordinary job of that. And then I, I also uh, spent a fair amount of time trying to learn Melodyne, which is the kind of uh, software that gets used, I think, in that scene and uh, huh. kind of tighten things up. And uh, uh, I, you know, and it could have, I could have left their performances. Maybe I should have, honestly, uh, they had their own, character and there was a there was a beauty there i think that uh i probably trampled on in some, in some cases but yeah, I, I i sort of committed to this path of trying to really make this a this kind of uh glossy as glossy and sparkling and kind of tight as i could make it you pointed me to this andrew hill record lift every voice and that's the kind of production it was a record i didn't know and my hero Woody Shaw is on there because something about the sound of it, you know, you're right. There's a reflection here in your project. Lift Every Voice um, 
the black national anthem. And at the time this was made, I guess, 1970, really powerful statement. And what he did with it was so brave and unconventional. Yeah. Yeah. And th this, uh, this became a, another project where I was, I was trying to think through that history. Uh, and, and trying to also to, to think about, I had a kind of another sort of foundational text there, which was the whiff and poof song, which, which kind of is the, maybe a kind of ur text for this whole flowering of collegiate acapella. That is this, uh, for the Yale University theme song, right? Yeah, yeah, the Yale Whiff and Poofs. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I think I, you know, kind of got up my own uh, whatever about this. There's, there's so many weird connections that seemed potentially relevant to me. And at the end of the day, I'm not exactly sure what I've, <laughs> what I've done here, uh, except to say that um, there... Uh, I connect with the sort of collegiate acapella music, some, some weird smiley optimism that feels kind of, I don't know, like a David Lynch movie or something like this. Um, this kind of uh, American optimism that again, conceals something quite ugly. And on the other hand, there is this this uh, this Andrew Hill record and the James Weldon Johnson song that it's kind of transfiguring that is optimistic in this deep way that is uh, uh, courageous in the face of just overwhelming tyranny. Yeah. Uh, I haven't earned the right to say any of that, so I'm I'm thinking like this project is again kind of. Um, I, wrestling with my own also lack of optimism right now, that's my own kind of like climate grief, the sort of sense that we are like headed for something truly uh, destructive. And I don't know, all those thoughts are maybe encoded in there, or maybe it's just a kind of hopeless muddle. Um, <laughs> well, it's not a hopeless muddle, but it's a deep process and you got to a very deep place with it. And that can be hard to untangle. Um, how all of those things get answered in our process. And maybe the mystery itself is the goal and proper result. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But all of those thoughts and feelings and considerations going into it is maybe what makes it what it is. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I guess maybe just backing up more, maybe something that, that does shine through hopefully a little bit is uh, I think I saw this project as being kind of a, maybe a, a part two in some ways to circulate Susanna. Mm. And at a, at a very general level, circulate Susanna felt like it was um, uh, like, dark music that was strange and I wanted this to be bright music that was strange <laughs> and maybe somehow addressing itself in some way to the same kind of uh, 
maybe conversation. The same conversation, the same sort of attempt to trouble the listener in a way that hopefully is useful, necessary, uh, or unpack my own troubles or in a way that's probably less necessary, more self-indulgent. <laughs> uh, hmm. Yeah. Well, how does um, this piece kinetic whirlwind structure fit into that? If it does, I was going to play that next. Yeah, I mean, there is there is a kind of uh, uh, strangeness there, I think, hopefully, that, that uh, uh, I guess relates to what I, I was just saying. I, I could also maybe talk about the maybe more of the nuts and bolts. This, this whole project, uh, it's me kind of like taking a next pretty rudimentary step into thinking about spectral harmonies, um, into thinking about ways that you can mess with the harmonic series. And one thing you kind of end up getting to when you're sort of making harmonies that are built on the, on the harmonic series is that uh, you're working with a pretty stable uh, collection of frequencies and relationships. And uh, if you're trying to kind of make music that has maybe a sense of chord progressions, which is what I think I'm trying to do, uh, you can maybe get stuck because you're just sort of working with the same sort of variant of the same sort of harmony over and over again. So then, you know, people look for ways to uh, uh, transform this material and derive other kinds of harmonies. One thing you can do is to um, do these things where you're, you're stretching and compressing these harmonic series to result in different frequencies, different relationships. And so uh, I tried to build a kind of lexicon of stretched and compressed um uh, sets of frequencies here by stretching and compressing you mean taking the 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 relationships between the tones and then either dividing by a certain number or multiplying by a certain number is that a maybe that's a too rudimentary no i think that that's basically true i think the math ends up being something more to do with like logarithms or something and i, I will totally fail to actually describe it but there there is a sort of established bit of math that you can where you apply this, uh, you can apply sort of changes to how you're deriving the harmonic series and you, you, uh, you spit out a different set of frequencies uh, depending on sort of which exponent you, you factor oh, in. Okay. Uh, I, I'm really not, uh, I, I shouldn't have opened my mouth because I, I don't oh, really that, understand it that, that well. That's very helpful. That uh, so I did this and I was trying to think about, um, it's pretty arbitrary, but get, assigning uh, values to this this exponent variable that I could also think about in terms of rhythm and duration, so that I was I was coming up with a kind of list of harmonies that also had a sort of implied duration or maybe a implied uh, sort of polyrhythmic ingredient, um, and. Uh, that sort of thing is kind of uh, ends up structuring most of what's happening on, on this record at some level hmm. and kinetic whirlwind sculpture one, I think is, is kind of the, the result of that pro process laid the most bare. It's really just kind of a, uh, 
a succession of these sort of harmonies and then the uh, vocalists improvise um, different sort of vowel sounds in, in their vocal production. And it all kind of gives way to this, uh, what I hoped would be a sort of weirdly dramatic cadenza for the piano where the piano sound is also transfigured by a, I've got a talk box hooked up to it and I'm, I'm trying to uh, sculpt the sustains of the piano with my mouth and sort of give it also this sort of uh, character of the uh, vowel sounds that the singers are using. Wow, that is so <laughs> great. Thank you. So let's hear that.
Yeah. Piano cadenza <laughs> with the vowel sounds. Yeah. That is so great. Kinetic whirlwind structure. It's from this album, Accelerate Every Voice. It's on Pyroclastic. And that's Chris Davis's uh, label. And I think it's, it's so great to see it come out. And, you know, um, I had Kyoko Kitamura on this podcast a couple of months ago, and she gave me an advance listen to some of this music and then pointed me, put me in touch with you. Um, Cause we've never actually met in person. We've never met, but I was uh, on the beach with my wife. It was our honeymoon when that episode came out. And, uh, and you said, uh, uh, Corey, I'm coming for you. And it was like the <laughs> most nerve wracking moment of my oh. uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to need another cocktail, dear. Oh. <laughs> and now you can see that it's completely harmless. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you, you probably, I mean, you, I know you did some work with Anthony Braxton from the Tricentric Foundation and Kyoko is the executive director over there. So how do all those connections collide? Yeah, I, well, I met Kyoko on uh, a gig. Uh, on one of the Trillium operas. I was uh, grateful to be a part of that back in like maybe 2011, possibly. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so she and I have remained friends ever since, but I think this might be the first time we've really worked together since then. Uh, I've admired her work from afar. And uh, yeah, you know, I I just this morning actually finally finished the uh, Graham Locke book about uh, with Braxton, and um, so he's very much on my mind right now. And uh, it's such a great book, such yeah. an amazing book, and such an overwhelming book. And forces uh, in motion, yeah, forces in motion it's mentioned yeah. on this podcast many times. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, uh, I mean, the main thing is I'm just, uh, just kind of beside myself that I've gotten to work at all with Anthony. I also, I got to play, uh, a standards gig with him and Tashan and, uh, Carl Testa right around that same time, I think. Wow. Um, and yeah, I've played a couple, I've played some of his solo music, but basically, uh, I'm, you know, I guess probably like most people just scratching the surface of what his music has been about. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I would like to imagine that, uh, I can get myself a bit deeper into it. Uh, I don't know if I have, uh, the uh, sort of capacity to make that happen, but the the depth of his thoughts about the breadth and depth of his thoughts about improvisation, what it can do and what it can mean, and it's humbling to think to think about it. Well, it's yeah, it's not only what he's given us in terms of the music and the language and the language within the music, but also his writings about the philosophy and the practices of how he believes that music should be played right um, yeah. is, is it's um it's very specific and it's very humorous 
yeah and human um but it's also um very determined by his drive to have this full-on vision of what he's doing and so as a performer you know you really have to dive deep i think to play it and and i know you've done that with a lot of composers so it's it's uh, it's um it feeds into the work that we all do yeah yeah there's there's like this uh there's people out there who have gone so deep into this. I've gotten, uh, I guess, uh, where improvisation becomes this this kind of uh, model for society or a model universe, even in Braxton's music. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or maybe model's not right because the, the connections are some, something else. I don't know. Um, but maybe a suggestion of how a society could function. Yeah. You know, a, a, a demo model. Right. Of how we could all live together. Yeah. As a part of ICE, I've gotten to uh, play, uh, I've gotten to do a fair amount with George Lewis, who, who uh, recently wrote this piece. Uh, God, I might get this wrong. I think it's called P Multitudinous. And it really is like, it's this brilliant set of materials and instructions and uh, texts to reflect upon that are at some level about uh, enacting this, this kind of uh, space for people to make decisions as individuals and as a collective that reflect in a deep way about what it is we're doing and trying to construct a society. Yeah. Non-hierarchical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, you know, I'm basically over here just like uh, coming up with little solo sections to blow over. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking about what these, what, you know, Aunt Anthony has done and George has done and uh, other people. Uh, Richard Barrett is somebody I've gotten to work a little bit with who's thought about this. Pauline Oliveros, I've gotten to work with, mm. uh, thought about this. So I'm aware that there's this kind of, uh, this place that you can go. And uh, I don't know that I'm, I'll be a, ultimately a intelligent or deep enough person to go there, but I, it's, uh, it's something that interests me and, and I keep thinking about it. Wow. Well, I'm sure you will go there if, if you haven't already. Um, so I want to go out with Marl Every Voice, but just what are you right like are there upcoming projects that we might want to know about i know this record just came out so i'm not like pushing but i'm sure you've got something up your sleeve yeah i mean well we're all kind of asking ourselves what uh comes next here for yeah music projects in a in a uh, larger way uh i just before things kind of closed down uh I had already kind of thought I'd found my way into some solo piano material that it would make sense to keep working on and, and try to uh, record. So, uh, and that makes more sense now than ever because it's going to be a while, I think, before I'm able to get in the same room with any colleagues. Um, so I think that that is next. And uh, I don't know. I've uh, I've been fortunate for 
many years to play in uh, Taishan Sori's piano trio, which uh, has uh, been such an amazing experience that it's mostly made me feel like I didn't have any other need of kind of trying to assemble a group with that instrumentation. Uh, hmm. But it's starting to feel like maybe as an outgrowth of the solo project, I can kind of see my way to some material that it might make sense to try to realize with, with bass and drums. Uh, so maybe, uh, maybe that'll. Are you doing any remote collaborations during this time that we're all uh, in lockdown? I haven't really, uh, I've found that difficult. Um, my piano is increasingly out of tune here. It, it's hard to, uh, uh, We've actually had a pretty good run during this conversation. My apartment's usually pretty noisy with uh, uh, neighbors and, and mm. traffic and stuff. So uh, it's not been an ideal instrument or environment to kind of send audio back and forth. But um, I guess the longer this carries on, the more it'll become necessary to just try to figure it out. How about you? Have you been? I'm sure you. I'm sure you will. I, I'm doing a few things. I'm, you know, I mean, all these skills that we are now forced to learn yeah. because of the circumstances, and it goes on so many different levels. And it's, uh, I'm writing differently because as I'm writing for groups, I'm thinking, okay, I have to figure out how to transmit this information to somebody who I'm not going to be in the same room with and then coax them into creating their part under those circumstances and then get it back from them. Yeah. And then, so I have to be really careful about what I send in the first place, um, which with improvisation is, it's just a whole new element of language that I, you know, so I, I, I don't know where it'll go. Hopefully we won't be shut down forever and there'll be a vaccine and, um, there's an election coming in November and, uh, yeah, trumpet is an instrument that is, uh, much less stable in terms of pitch. So that's an advantage in terms of your piano being out of tune. Um, <laughs> at least I can tune my trumpet, but it's also not in the A440 world. You know, it's just this wacky piece of metal that resonates when you vibrate your lip against it and blow air. And so some online collaborations I've done, if I just play something out of the blue, I, I mean, I don't have perfect pitch. So it might be in some wacky thing that then someone encounters and they're like, well, how am I supposed to play piano to this? Cause you're not. So send anyway. it to me, man. I, my Melodyne skills are uh, top notch <laughs> right now. You'll I'll help you up. fix some of that. I may take you up on that, Corey. <laughs> Yeah, new skills. Yeah. Wow. Well, so great talking to you. Thank you for for sharing everything. So Thank deep. Thank you. Um, you really, wow, you went there, and uh, it's a lot to think about. And the music is so great. Um, so I really appreciate it. That's really kind of you. Really generous. Um, thank you for having me on.
Hope you enjoyed Corey Smythe and all that great music. Thanks so much for listening. Visit greenleafmusic.com for more.